Welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. I want to remind everyone that you can go to WGALaw.com if you want to learn more about Bill and his free webinars that he does the second Wednesday of every month. Bill just had his webinars this past week. You can learn more and register for the October webinars at WGALaw.com. Get a hold of the team at WG Alexander and Associates at WGALaw.com. Just click on the seminars button at the top of the page if you want to learn more about long-term care assistance, financial assistance when it comes to dealing with the costs of long-term care. It deals with Medicaid, VA benefits, and all other forms of government assistance that most families can qualify for. All right, Bill, we got the housekeeping out of the way. Let's get into our main topic to start the show, and we're going to be talking about business entities. And for someone starting a business, this can be a tough decision that oftentimes can be overlooked. Well, it, you know, it's a, a, a part of asset protection planning. Uh, a lot of folks uh, want to know, you know, should they uh, create uh, a business entity? Should, should we um, put our rental properties or other, you know, I have a small type business, should I create an LLC, a limited liability company, or a corporation? And, and quite frankly, in most cases, uh, the answer is yes, you should use uh, these entities, uh, but not necessarily always. It, it really depends on um, what, what you're doing, uh, how much money is involved, um, and, um, and the like. Um, so, I mean, if it's the kind of thing where... Uh, it's not necessarily a slam dunk that you have to do it. Uh, it's nice to have an entity if you have enough income and deductions to where you you uh, would file a Schedule C on your personal income tax return or a separate income tax return, depending on the circumstances for uh, those of us who have a, a business that is owned either only by ourselves or ourselves and our spouse uh, or that that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, in terms of which entity to choose, should I use an LLC? Should I use a corporation? Um, I will say this because, you know, uh, a number of years ago, I, I did a fairly significant asset protection seminar um uh, and the fact is uh, that I would tell you, based on my own experience of over 45 years practicing law, that most small businesses that use a corporation are hanging out with potential liability. And the reason is real simple. Uh, you know, a lot of folks... Um, create their own corporation or they go to an attorney who does the paperwork for them and they end up with a corporation. And then the corporate book uh, ends up on a shelf and no one ever pulls it out again. And so oftentimes people who have a corporation don't even know where their corporate book is. And the fact is, is if that if you create a corporation, 
the laws require you to operate like a corporation. In other words, a corporation has stockholders or shareholders. A corporation must have a board of directors and officers. Uh, and they all have different jobs to do, if you will. And 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 so you might say, well, well, Bill, uh, I'm the only person, you know, I I am the only stockholder. So guess what? You know, do I still have to have minutes of meetings and uh, shareholder meetings? I'm meeting with myself. And the answer is yes, you do. You have to have these in writing. You have to have an annual shareholder meeting, and you have to elect uh, a board of directors at your shareholders meetings. And and you have to, and you need not only to have a, a president, but you need a secretary and a treasurer as well. Uh, and now, oftentimes, the 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 uh, a single member. Uh, entity will uh, the the person will serve not only as the president but they'll serve as the uh, treasurer as well. You know, controlled money, of course. But the fact is, is that you have to have a board of directors. The board of directors sets the policies. The board of directors elects officers each year. The board of directors sets the salaries and benefits and things like that. And and guess what? You have to operate it like a business and a, a business doesn't take your profits and go to the grocery store and buy groceries for the family uh, which is a very common thing quite frankly and so the the fact is that so many small corporations if they were to ever be sued now the only thing that that's actually t- uh, helping them is the fact that people don't get sued that often. But if something goes wrong and you get sued and the corporation doesn't have enough money or insurance to pay the compensation or whatever it is, then the lawyers representing the other side, they're going to be looking for personal liability. And the first thing they do is they're going to say, well, let's see what your corporate book looks like and your minutes and all of that good stuff. And the fact is the majority of small business people don't who have a corporation don't keep their book up. They don't have their annual required meetings. And if you don't operate like a corporation, the courts are going to say what? You're not a corporation. You you think you have a corporation, you have a corporation in your name, but sorry, you have a part, you know, basically you're a proprietor, you have personal liability, and too bad. Um, so that's, that's a real threat to uh, a lot of folks. Now, when compared with a limited liability company, a limited liability company doesn't have all of those yearly obligations. Now, you still have to have, uh, you have to be organized. In other words, Secretary of State has to say, yes, uh, we accept your paperwork. You're a limited liability company. Uh, And you have to have an operating agreement. I've, I've seen a lot of folks who Uh, do it on their own, uh, but they never create an operating agreement. Well, guess what? 
if you're a limited liability company, you still have to operate as a business. And and you have to have, because it is an entity capable of holding property and having different owners, you have to have, uh, it, in essence, your operating agreement uh, substitutes on, uh, it's basically the same kind of document that your corporate bylaws would be. Uh, so that the entity knows how to deal with issues as they uh, 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 arise uh, for the business. But the main thing, whether you operate as a corporation or as a limited liability company, is that you must operate as a business. And that means to keep uh, the money separate, uh, and the bills separate, the money separate, the income coming, uh, and that you make your distributions for salaries or benefits or uh, you know other profit distributions to the owners in a bi- and, and you conduct it all in a business-like way. Um, uh, you know, uh, quite frankly, whether you, whether you pay a separate uh, or whether you file a separate tax return, uh, that generally is going to be up to your CPA. And, you know, for a single member or a married couple who owns uh, either a, a corporation or, or uh, an LLC, you do, do not necessarily have to file a, uh, a separate tax return, uh, which is then reported on your personal return. A lot of, uh, uh, of tax preparers just file all of the business information on the Schedule C, which is a business part of the tax return, or Schedule E if it's if it's real estate, uh, because those are schedules where you can take deductions, if you will, which are so important to us. So anyway, uh, th- that's just a little bit into it. There's more that I, I need to talk about as it relates to LLCs versus corporations. But, uh, you know, you don't let me keep on talking without taking a break. So I'll, I know I need to stop here. we got to pay the bills around here. So that's, that's what's going to happen. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation regarding business entities and particularly LLCs and corporations and how that folds into asset protection. And, uh, Bill, we will talk at some point during the show today about the webinars that you had this week. And if you are interested in attending Bill's webinars happening in October, Bill does these the second Wednesday of every month. You can find more information at WGALaw.com. These are free webinars that you can attend. They are highly educational dealing with the subjects of asset protection and trust planning as well as long-term care assistance medicaid va benefits highly educational and helpful for some very complicated subjects go to wgalaw.com and click on the seminars button to learn more wgalaw.com or call 919-256-7000 7,000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, WGALaw.com is where you can go to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill or find more information or register for his free webinars if you want to learn more about long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. That's a great place to go, WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and Bill, we're talking about asset protection, in particular business entities and making a decision between starting an LLC and a corporation. Well, uh, no question about it. Well, the, the fact is people use LLCs and corporations for because – they are entities that give you a huge benefit, and that's limited liability. People who operate a business don't want the the issues that can come up with a business to affect their personal assets. They don't want creditors of the business to be able to go after um, their savings and uh, and their homes and 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 the like. Um, and that's really important to us. Now, it's not as easy as that, quite frankly, but let me first mention uh, one of the differences that uh, is important, and it involves uh, taxes. And, you know, very few of us really get into taxes, if you will, other than we don't like to pay them. Uh, but the fact is, if you create a corporation, you have one of two choices. And the default is a regular corporate, what we call a C-corp, uh, which uh, basically is, you know, all of the large corporations out there are, are C-corporations. Uh, and th- those are corporations uh, that have dividends uh, to the shareholders uh but most small businesses, uh, particularly new businesses, generally elect under subchapter S, and we call these S-corps. And the difference is that uh, all of the income, and importantly, any losses, because many startup companies have losses the first few years, um, basically are pushed to your individual income tax return. So in essence, uh, the corporation files a tax return for information, and the taxes are actually paid by the individual shareholder or shareholders. Uh, whereas with a regular corporation, the corporation files the tax return, and if there are dividends paid, the dividends are taxed to the individual, but not the profits of the corporation that are not paid out as dividends. So that's a pretty important distinction. The big news is if you have a regular C-Corp, you, uh, you, you cannot take losses of the corporation on your personal return. And that's, that's the main reason that most startups and small companies actually elect subchapter S. Now, the good news for a limited liability company, an LLC, is when it's created, you can elect, in fact, you have to elect how you want to be taxed. And the default for an LLC is to be taxed as a partnership, but you can be an LLC taxed as an S-corp or as a C-corp. A lot of folks don't realize that, and that's that's really uh, very, very beneficial because Quite frankly, um, there are a lot of small LLCs that actually like S-corps as their tax status. It gives uh, certain benefits, 
But what you have to understand is there's a big difference with how you organize with an S-Corp as opposed to a partnership. With partnership, you can have any kind of ownership agreement. Uh, In other words, like with a partnership, you can say, okay, I'm going to do all the work. You're going to put in all the money. I'm not going to put in much money, and we're going to split the profits 50-50. You can do that in a partnership, but you know what? You can't do that in an S-Corp. Because in an S-Corp, the ownership is based on how much money you put in or what you call capital, how much you capitalize the uh, the investment with, okay? And so basically, if you're going to have equal ownership, they both have to put in the same amount of money. Um, but that's not true in a partnership. In a partnership, you know, your partnership agreement can be any way you want to do it. I mean, there's, you know, a million different ways you can actually organize as a partnership uh, and split profits and, and the like. But Obviously, uh, you don't get some of the benefits that an S-Corp election uh, can give you, but then you have the actual the benefit of having greater latitude in terms of how you divide things up based on uh, how much uh, sweat equity <laughs> that you put in to uh, the company. So all of that can be important. Now... Uh, An LLC actually does have an advantage over a corporation uh, when creditors come calling, and that is the fact that uh, there is an exclusive remedy for creditors uh, for an LLC in North Carolina. It's not exclusive in every state, uh, but it is in a number of states, and it's called a charging order. And what that basically means is the creditor stands in your shoes to receive the profits uh, or losses of your company. And if you owe them money, uh, and but the thing about a, a charging order is that it doesn't give the creditor any voting rights or management rights into your company. And guess you're, you, being the debtor, uh, are still in control of your company. And if you've ha- you have profits, you don't have to distribute those profits. A charging order doesn't require you to do that. But the creditor is going to get the K-1 from the company, whether you distribute or not. Creditors don't like phantom income. In other words, where they have to pay income taxes on money that they did not receive. So uh, that really is an advantage of uh, a charging order uh, over uh you know, corporate liability. Now, uh, the last thing I want to mention is because the fact is just because you have a corporation or LLC doesn't necessarily protect you from personal liability. Um, And now, uh, obviously, if you have a corporation or LLC, your entity has to have separate insurance, liability insurance, so from your personal. So typically your LLC can't fall under the same umbrella policy that you might have for your home and car. Um, so in essence, 
the insurance piece can be a little more expensive for folks because they have to get separate insurance for their entity and separate umbrella policies and the like. But let's say you don't have enough insurance. Can people go after your personal assets? Well, the answer is maybe. So I'll, I'll uh, come back to that and, and uh, let folks know what I'm talking about in terms of the potential for personal liability. We will explore that. And if you want to set up an appointment to speak with Bill, have your documents reviewed, or set up an asset protection plan or an estate plan, go to WGALaw.com. Schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, or you can call the office, 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. And don't forget online at WGALaw.com. You can also register for Bill's free webinars if you want to learn more uh, about asset protection as well as trust planning or learn more about long-term care assistance this is a wonderful free educational opportunity for you go to wgalaw.com and click on the seminars button at the top of the page we're going to take a quick break but we'll be back with more this is asset protection today with attorney bill alexander and we'll be right back listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can learn more about Bill by going to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we're talking all about asset protection in terms of business entities, in particular LLCs and corporations. Okay. Well, here it is. Uh, how can you get to personal liability even when you have a LLC or a corporation? Well, most of us who have small businesses, guess what? We operate them ourselves. We manage them. We deal with the property and the like. And so let me just give you two examples. That's the easiest way for folks to understand. Uh, let's say you own rental properties um, and uh, you've created an LLC and you've put your rental homes into the LLC. So you're going, yay, I'm protected. But uh, like a lot of folks who own rental homes, you manage them yourself. In other words, you get the renters, uh, you, you interview them, you decide who's going to rent your place, uh, and then once they're in your place, uh, you're the one they call to take care of issues. You know, the, uh, the toilet leaks, the, uh, you know, the step is rotten, uh, uh, this needs to be, you know, the, the dishwasher broke, or whatever it is. Uh, and you're the one who either goes to the place and fixes it, or you hire somebody to get something fixed. Well, the fact is that because you are actually responsible for the management of that property, while uh, the creditor may not be able to take your rental house away from you if the, if the liability is that bad, they can sue you personally for your mismanagement. In other words, you, you, we, we told you about this broken step and you never fixed it, you didn't do anything, 
Uh, and now, uh, you know, my grandmother fell and broke her hip and died and, you know, that sort of thing, and you're liable. Uh, now, I will say, in North Carolina, unlike most states, it's really hard to get a judgment against a landowner, but uh, getting a, a, um, a judgment for mismanagement may be a little more, uh, a little easier, if you will. Another good, uh, so in essence, you can have personal liability. Now, if you have a management company and you're not involved in it, uh, responsible for the management of your rental property, then you probably do, you're probably pretty secure if you have good insurance, uh, liability insurance, um, you're, you're going to be secure from liability. Another good example would be professionals like lawyers and architects and doctors and dentists and, and others, um, where if we mess up uh, with our clients, our clients can sue us for making a mistake. Well, you know, if, you know, most professional practices uh, operate in a limited liability uh, company or a corporation. Now, but the point is, is that the particular person who messes up has personal responsibility. That's why we have to get what's called malpractice insurance. Now, we may be protected from the mistake of maybe another professional in the office that also is a partner or uh, employee of, of the company, but the fact is, you know, uh, if we mess up ourselves, we've we've got personal liability. And so I'm just saying that having an entity doesn't necessarily protect you from personal liability. It's, it's a little more complicated than that based on the circumstances. And the sad news is that when things go wrong, if somebody is injured, there's somebody is damaged, the attorneys who represent them will sue everybody that touches the situation in any way. And the reason is real simple. They are, and, and quite frankly, it makes me mad at times that they sue people that really should not be a party to a lawsuit. But guess what? They're looking for pockets of insurance in order to collect for their client. And uh, it's, it's really sad sometimes uh, why or even how uh, they can sue people that have really very little, if anything, to do with the circumstance. But I just see it that way. And that, and, and you know, the fact that Bill Alexander doesn't like it is not going to stop the practice. I can tell you that. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is the case. And Bill, we're going to take a break here in just a bit. But I did want to uh, talk to you a little bit because this week you did have your webinars, and I wanted to see how that went and uh, the turnout and. I know you love doing these webinars, so I, oh, I love uh, well, our, our webinar was is always a lot of fun. We had a good turnout, and you know, I've, to the best of my knowledge, everybody enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I've never had any real complaints, uh, and so if you missed our webinar, I would say uh, join us next month. You know, because second Wednesday of each month, we're gonna we're gonna do our our webinars. Uh, I I would like to get back to doing some face to face seminars because I really enjoy seeing people. Um, but the webinars have been really popular because it's real easy to do. 
they they do take a couple hours out of your time, but they're very educational, and uh, you know most folks get a lot out of them. And so uh, we we do a webinar on long-term care, government assistance, which um, any family who's ever experienced that knows how expensive it is and how important government assistance can be. And then in the afternoon, we do an asset protection and trust webinar for f- folks who are interested in trust-based planning or asset protection planning and how they can uh, better secure their uh, hard-earned uh, resources. So, But it's always a lot of fun for us. I know you love it, and those who attend usually find it very rewarding as well. Head over to WGA Law. If you would like to register for Bill's webinars happening in October, WGALaw.com. Click on the seminars button at the top of the page. It's free to attend, free to register. There's no cost to you. You also are eligible for a free consultation with Bill after you attend one of the webinars. So that's something else that you can take advantage of. WGALaw.com or call 919-256-7000. 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. You can go to WGALaw.com if you want to learn more about Bill, schedule an appointment to see him or find more information about his free webinars, WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, oftentimes when we discuss a lot of the topics on this show, in particular with planning, you know, we envision the Ozzie and Harriet style family but there are other scenarios that typically happen you know that's that's almost a, i won't say a rarity but it's it's not always necessarily the norm well jason uh the fact is is that the the ozzy and harriet families are pretty rare uh these days and for our younger uh listeners who have no clue who ozzy and harriet are it's uh, that's an old TV show back when I was growing up, and so I will say that Ozzy and Harriet was a show in the 50s and 60s. Uh, but basically, it, it uh, was your tradition, what we call a, a traditional family. Husband goes to work every day as the breadwinner, and the wife stays home taking care of the crazy children. Um, you know that uh, um, is in in essence. Uh, one-income family, um, you know, uh, those kind of things. So uh, now the fact is is that uh, uh, one-income families are pretty rare these days. <laughs> so because the cost of living pretty much requires, uh, if folks want to live a, a pretty reasonable standard of living, uh, it pretty much requires both spouses to work at least part of the time, if not all the time. And and so it's just uh, much, much more common these days um, to have both spouses uh, working. And, of course, uh, another uh, 
A very common situation is where you have a second marriage. In other words, you have a divorced situation or you have a widowed situation, second marriage, children by previous marriages. I had a delightful meeting uh, with a client uh, recently, and this was a second marriage scenario, uh, a wonderful second marriage of of over 31 years, uh, just a very loving, wonderful situation. They did not have children together. Uh, they had they each had their their own children. Uh, now, uh, in an unusual circumstance, they each uh, they kept uh, for the thirty one years of marriage. Uh, they have kept everything separate, uh, uh, and the, obviously that makes things easier. Uh, in ways for the families in terms of estate planning when they haven't mixed things. Uh, quite frankly, most sec- second marriages, they do mix their property. They buy a home together. They do things like that. But this particular one was pretty simple in terms of we've never mixed our money. We've never mixed our property. The house is owned by me not by my spouse, uh, you know, those kinds of things. And I want my children to have everything. My spouse doesn't need anything from me. Uh, You know, he uh, is doing great, and we love each other. And, uh, uh, oh, by the way, uh, we do not have a prenuptial agreement. We don't have, I mean, basically I had to ask the question, "Do do you have a prenup? Well, no, we, you know, we respect each other, we honor each other, we love each other. We didn't see a need for it. And I said, well, uh, you know, you've had some bad news. Uh, It's likely that you will die first. Uh, Do you uh, want to ensure that your children will receive your inheritance as you wish? Uh, and the point being that when you do not have a prenuptial agreement or a postnuptial agreement, you know, a post same thing except that it's executed after marriage, um, then your spouse, if he doesn't like what you've done and he wants part of your estate, all he has to do is go down to the courthouse and file a dissent to your estate plan, to your will and or your trust and receive a substantial portion of your estate. And it was like, hmm, well, I trust him, but no, we better have, if if we can do a postnuptial agreement, that's probably a good idea because he wants his estate to go to his kids too. But it is likely that I will die first and I want to make sure that my estate goes to my children. So, okay, that was the first thing that we had to determine that. So, you know, it's the kind of thing where uh, I would always recommend in a second marriage situation that people uh, have a prenuptial agreement, a pre-marriage agreement, uh, and and there are some rules about premarriage agreements. Uh, number one, both parties must be represented by separate counsel. 
uh, they, everybody has to be very honest about what you have and don't have. In other words, your assets and your debts, um, so that that's uh, listed, so that's a, a knowing. It has to be executed uh, as far away from the wedding date as possible. In other words, you can't come up the, the day before the wedding and say, dear, uh, we have to have a prenuptial agreement, otherwise we can't get married. And <laughs> that's um, blackmail, <laughs> and that those kind of, of uh, prenups will not hold up in court. Um, uh, and, and, you know, there's some other, uh, other rules, but the fact is a, a prenuptial agreement basically means that you can leave your property the way you want to without leaving anything to your spouse. Now, it allows you to leave as much or as little as you want to to your spouse at your death, but you don't have to. And that's one of the things about a prenuptial agreement that uh, is really, really important to people. That There's some other things I think are important too, particularly if you have ch- children by previous marriage, Truthfully, if you want your children to accept and embrace your new spouse, a prenuptial agreement goes a long way to where the kids don't look at your new spouse as a gold digger who's going to take their inheritance away from them. Um, so obviously from that, that perspective, a prenuptial agreement is also very beneficial in terms of keeping family ties stronger uh, after a, a second marriage. <clears throat> and I think that's really important as well. But in this case, you know, a, a post-nuptial agreement, an after-marriage agreement, can result in the same thing. You know, but you still have many of those requirements uh, of a prenup that you need to make sure. So everybody's on the same page, you know, waving the right to dissent from your uh, estate plan and, and the and the like. Um, now, in this particular case, it became even more interesting because she didn't think either one of her children could manage money uh, and didn't want to leave them money that they would squander. And, and for completely different reasons for her children, she wanted to have um, uh, some things to protect her children from their inheritance, if you will. Now, this is where you get into trust-based planning. But, or, uh, and in this particular case, I thought it was really interesting because then she started talking about the fact that she, you know her children were really smart, blah, 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 as it related to certain aspects of their life, and that they would not like her plan at all, and that it was likely that they would challenge her plan after her death. And I said, oh, well, if that's the case, we can solve that problem. And she said, oh, really? How? In North Carolina, we can do what's called a living probate. Um, It hadn't been in the statutes that long, maybe five years, but it allows us to actually probate your will now while you're living so that it cannot be contested at your death. 
And so uh, the bottom line is you probate it, you give notice to the kids, uh, and in this case, her kids live in California, and if they want to contest her will, they have to come forward and contest it face-to-face with mom, (laughs) which uh, is highly unlikely to happen. So it gives people who uh, unfortunately have a dysfunctional family or a family that's not going to like what they want to do, and you should be able to leave your property to anybody you want to, and you leave it in any way you want to. You know, kids are not entitled to receive anything from you unless you want them to receive it, and then you should be able to, to say how they get it. Uh, and if you want to, uh, in this particular case, I also re- recommended not just having a post-nuptial agreement so that she could do what she wanted to do for her children, but that she also did a living probate so that her intentions could not be challenged after her death. So she, she liked both of those recommendations a lot, and it's they're so different that from what we normally see that I thought I would share that with folks. Well, thanks for sharing that, Bill, and that goes a long way towards showing what planning can do and making sure that uh, your intentions will be executed the way that you want them to, and that's why it's so important for you to visit an elder law attorney if you haven't done that. Make sure that your plans are in order and that they will be executed the way that you want them to. As Bill has explained in this story, there's there's a lot of pitfalls and there's a lot of assumptions that you can make that could lead you in a, in a route that will not have your plans executed in the way that you want them to. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, head on over to WGALaw.com. WGALaw. That's also where you can go to register for Bill's free webinars, or you can call the office 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. Quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. If you want to learn more about Bill, schedule an appointment to speak with him or find more about his webinars, go to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website. Click on the seminars button if you want to register for the next set of webinars. Learn more about long-term care assistance as well as asset protection and trust planning. That'll do it for us today. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I'm Jason Kong. Thanking you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful weekend.